Father in heaven, we graciously thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your kindness that leads us to repentance. We thank you, O Lord, that we have an opportunity right now, Father, to enter into your presence and to hear your word, Father. Who else has the words to everlasting life and to where else will we go? We pray right now, Holy Spirit, come down, saturate this place, speak through me, O dear God. May I become less and you become more. And Lord, may today, this morning, be the day of salvation as we look at hallmarks for Christian fellowship, hallmarks for those who are born again, Father. May those uh, people, all of us, examine ourselves, Lord, to see if we're in the faith, Father. For those who don't know you, Lord, may they know you today and have security and assurance that they are going to heaven. They're going to see you face to face. And Lord, I cannot wait for heaven is far better. We pray for Pastor Dave and his family. We thank you for such a faithful servant. We're so honored and blessed that he is our spiritual leader and our pastor, Lord. But we want to see your name lifted up on high. We love you. We thank you for your grace. In Jesus' holy name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Um, So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the scriptures, 11 verses. We're going to pray over the word, and then we'll get into the word by the grace of God. So 1 John chapter 2, 3 through 11. Hear the words of the living God. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says... He is in the light and hates his brother, is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he was going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Father in heaven, we thank you for the bread of life that has come down from heaven and gives life to the world. And we pray, Lord, that your word would come down from heaven, accomplish what you set it out to do, and not return into you void. And we pray, Lord, that your word would be profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction if necessary, and for instructions in righteousness that your children may be perfect and thoroughly equipped unto every good work for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. So really quick, uh, I'll do a quick little, little background as quick as I can, by the grace of God, about the epistle of John and the apostle John. So this is believed to be written, strongly believed to be written uh, by the apostle John. So the apostle John is responsible for uh, the gospel of John, these three itty-bitty epistles, and the um, revelation. And so the apostle John is one of Jesus' closest apostles. If you guys remember throughout the gospels, particularly the Gospel of John, you saw Jesus had the three, Peter, James, and John, the 12, the 70, and then the many. So John was one of Jesus' closest companions. 
he spent the most intimate time with the Lord Jesus. If there was anyone during Jesus' earthly ministry that knew Jesus better, it would be Peter, James, and John. And so we get this letter from the Apostle John, who was believed at this time to be well advanced in years and was a, uh, a patriarch in the, the community which believed the church of Ephesus uh, in Asia, Asia Minor, I believe. And so um, he had a very high influence, and so he was overseeing a lot of those churches, and he was writing letters to these churches. And so he's writing to uh, these churches in Ephesus, these people in Ephesus, as a concerned parent. Because just as you guys remember Paul, as soon as the apostle Paul would preach the gospel, as he said in Acts 20, he said, grievous wolves will come in not sparing the flock with false doctrine. And that's what the enemy does. He comes in, shadows those who are truly laboring for the Lord, and then when they leave, they leech onto weak believers and try to take them captive through false doctrine. And so as a concerned parent, any concerned parent or concerned spiritual leader, you're concerned for the spiritual condition of the flock. And so the apostle John writes to combat a uh, dangerous heresy that had come in, which is known as Gnosticism, which we believe, which I'll go into a little bit later. Um, and he does that by lovingly giving an evidence. This, this is an action epistle. Lovingly giving these evidences of how you know you're a true believer in Christ. And so I love this epistle because we have so many people that are saying they're a Christian. I'm a Christian. I do this. I do that. And yet their life, their behavior is divorced from what they believe. And so that's a myth today, is many people think they can divorce belief and behavior, but I tell you that's not the truth. Just how it says, whom God brought together, let no man separate. What belief brought together, let not behavior separate. Those two go hand in hand. If you truly believe in something, your behavior and your conduct is going to match that. And so, as you see, the Apostle John writes as a concerned uh, father, a concerned parent, we see that the word love is mentioned over 30 times in this epistle alone. And as I say often, love is action. Love is always caught in the act. It's never caught stagnant. And we know that the Bible says that God is love. And every believer who's been born again and is inhabited by the Holy Spirit, the fruit of that is love and everything flows from there. And so John mentions love 30 times. And the base of this epistle we talk about relationship and fellowship with God. And so we're going to see two things that, are, that we need to think about, the context of this, of this epistle. When we look at relationship, we look at John's gospel. Relationship and security. is Relationship is what we have in common, related to one another. We have Jesus. If you're in an earthly family, you have, you're born into the same family. You live in the same home. You have a lot of relatable things. You're part of the family. But fellowship that's what we do. It's what we share with one another, the Greek word koinonia. And so for us, when we fellowship, we're sharing the Holy Spirit. We're sharing Jesus with one another. And all those gifts that God has given us, we're blessing one another. That's why we do not forsake the fellowship. Amen? That's why we need that. The foundation of the church in Acts 2 and 42, for they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, the breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayer. That's the foundation. And so you see, you want to look at relationship, you look at the gospel of John. You want to look at fellowship, you look at the epistle of John. You want to look at security, that you're protected from danger, your salvation is secure. We look at the gospel of John and Ephesians. But you want to look at assurance. Assurance is certainty that you may know that you know that you know that you know you're going to heaven. We look at this epistle. 
Because anyone who's been born of God will bear the fruit of God. It's not the fruit bearing the root. The root bears the fruit. And if you bear the root, you bear the fruit. It's that simple. Amen? And so the purpose of this, as he writes, is first and foremost that we may have fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. When false teaching comes in, it's an infection. It starts small and it starts to spread and it breaks up people who are following the Lord and it gives them a false assurance to doubt their relationship with the Lord. Secondly, true believers, they don't continue in willful rebellion against God. That's why he says, he who says and does not, if you say and do not, by this you know, if this happens after that, because the Gnostics, the false teachers came in and they were saying all these things. They had this higher knowledge that was supposed to make them uh, a lot uh, more spiritual than the next person, right? And that's typically what knowledge does. It puffs up, but love builds up. So that we would have fellowship with God and that Jesus is the foundation of our joy. Is that is when we have joy, it's because we have Jesus. When we have no joy, we don't have Jesus. And so John writes in uh, chapter 1, Then he also says that you may not walk in willful rebellion, that you may not sin. And thirdly, he writes to warn against false teaching. You see, the false teaching about what? About the identity, the person, and work of Jesus Christ. All of the false religions and cults, they taint who the person and work of Jesus Christ is. They make him less. They degrade him. They uh, make him even with man or even elevate man's authority over Christ. I'm going to make it very clear. Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords, and there is no other. The Bible says that. Is there any other rock? We know of none other. That is the Lord Jesus. And every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is lord to the glory of Father and no other. And so what the cults do, they bring them lower. They try to elevate man, and they try to lure you in so you can serve them because they want your affection. But our affection should only be for one, and that's for the Lord Jesus Christ. And then lastly, assurance of salvation. As I was, I was studying, and um, my uncle, he'll call me every, sometimes twice a month. Josh, how I know you're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, right? Ephesians 2 makes that clear. I know that, but sometimes I don't feel like it. Sometimes I wonder, am I really in his hands? Do I really have the two-fisted promise that John 10 gives us? Am I really in the son's hand, the son's hands, and the father's hand, and no one can snatch me out of the hand, and the father is greater than I? Do I really have that? And my heart has always taken him to 1 John 5 for assurance, so that you may know, 1 John 5, 13, 11 through 13 tells us, that I've written these things that you may know that you have eternal life, and that this life is in the son. Therefore, he who has the son has the life, and he who does not have the son does not have the life for our assurance. Because guess what? If we've been born again, we need to have confidence. Not arrogance, but confidence. Arrogance means you're in charge. Confidence means Christ is in charge. And so the Bible says that we're kept by the power of God. And I think it's in 1 Peter. That we've been begotten by unto a living hope. And we have an unfatable, we have an incorruptible inheritance waiting reserved in heaven for us. These are the words of the living God. We have those precious promises. So John, the apostle, writes that. Uh, those are the main purposes of why he writes this epistle. Now we can get into our outline really quick. Okay, moving, moving quick. Amen. Praise God. So I tell the message, do you know Jesus? Okay? Many of you, a lot of us may think we do. A lot of us may say we do. But when you get down to the nitty-gritty, do you have a relationship with him? When you wake up in the morning, is he the first thing on your mind? 
Do you salivate at his word? I love the psalmist in Psalm 42. It says, as a deer pants after the water brook, so my soul pants after you. I thirst for the living God as a man in a dry and thirsty land. As, does Jesus Christ affect and impact everything in your life? When you come into a room, does the Holy Spirit enter with you? These are all parts and evidence of do you know Jesus? Now, I know right now in a time where uh, COVID-19 is running rampant, I see it sad to see that more people know COVID-19 more than they know Christ. And I think that's a shame, is that they can give you more details, more analysis, more breakdown on this virus. That's real. I understand that. But Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords, Alpha and Omega, and there is no other. He's Lord and Savior beginning from the end. And most of us claim to know him, but we don't walk with him. Amen? And so we have to ask the question today, do we know him? John gives us some hallmarks for us to know if we're in fellowship with him. So really quick, first and foremost, point number one, we know Jesus first and foremost if we're obedient to his word. I know a lot of us don't like that. Obedience, eh, what is it? I mean, is it kind of obey when I want to obey? Is it only when I agree with it? If Jesus is Lord, he's not Lord, he's not a half-time Lord. He doesn't clock in half-time and then take, take breaks. He's full-time Lord and he's full-time Savior. And so if you know Jesus and you have a relationship with him and you are in fellowship with him, then he's always Lord. And our answer should be, yes, Lord, to whatever you say. Yes, Lord, I trust you. Will you struggle and battle from time to time? Absolutely. But what does your heart say? Amen? And so are we obedient to the Lord's commands to forgive one another, to pray without ceasing, to pray for our enemies? My brothers and sisters, these are just surface things that we should be doing as a Christian if we know him. Secondly, may we be known by our words and actions being united. Hence why if you say and you do not, if you say you love the Lord, but you don't love people, there's, there's a concern there, a genuine concern. Do we have a desire to please the Lord in all that we do? In verse 5, it will tell us that those who keep his word, the love of God is perfected in them. That desire to live a holy life is perfected in them. We go from obligation, I want to keep these commands, to appreciation, I get to keep these commands, they're good for me. I am accepted, therefore I obey, obey, because I'm bound by love and not by law. Point C, our lifestyle being patterned after the Lord Jesus. Are we seeking to be like the master? Luke 6.40 tells us that the goal of a disciple, the goal of a follower of Jesus Christ, is when they're perfectly trained to be like their master. And so in our lives, as we're growing in the grace of knowledge from glory to glory, faith to faith, and grace to grace, are we looking more and more like Christ or more and more like the world? Those are all questions that we have to examine. Uh, point number two, are we known by our love for one another? I love this verse in John 13, 34 through 35. Jesus tells his disciples, he says, a new commandment I give unto you, that you will love one another as I have loved you. This you must also do. And by this, by this, the agape love, all men will know that you're my disciples by the love you have one to another. And unfortunately, a lot of us have what we call sloppy agape. It's not real love. It's oh, what you can do for me, then I'll see what I can do for you. Jesus said even sinners do that. What thanks do you have if you love someone who loves you back? Anybody can do that. But he tells us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us and pray for those who mistreat us. That is the love of Christ. And lastly, 
we need to understand the contrast. Love for self results in hate, darkness, and life of stumbling. And I will say that the opposite of love is not hate, but selfishness. It's being self-centered and only on you. Amen? All right, let's get into the, uh, the word. So verse number one on the outlines. Sorry, verse number three. I apologize. Point number one, uh, hallmarks of Christian fellowship by our obedience. So here's what he said. Now by this we know. We know him if we keep his commandments. So previously, uh, in the uh, previous two verses, John was saying, I write to you that you may not sin. Because the Gnostics were walking in willful rebellion because they had a wrong belief about who Jesus was. And they felt that they can do whatever they want because they were not responsible for what they do in their flesh. And so Jesus says true believers aren't like that. Do not continue to sin. But here's the good news. Although we all sin and fall short of the glory of God, and although we all falter in our walk with the Lord, John gives us this assurance that, hey, if anyone sins, or so should anyone sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he pleads your case every time before the Father and says, Lord, I paid the price. They're with me. Put their sin on me. The blood that continues to cover and give and atone is the righteous blood of Jesus Christ. And so after he says that, he comes to this verse and he says this, by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Another version, uh, the New Living Translation says this, and we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. So when he says, by this we know, that which I'm about to say afterwards, this meaning the evidence. See, many people think faith is, it's a blind faith, right? Is that you guys just, oh, you know, just, you just believe in God and the sky and you don't have any evidence from it. The Christian belief is very well rooted in evidence, right? You look all throughout the Old Testament, he gives all the signs and wonders, although he doesn't have to, he gives all the signs and wonders on who he is so that you may believe on him. Amen? And so the word to know, it's a Greek word, genoski, and it uses the same word twice, that you, uh, by this you may know that you know him. Um, and in other words, we may know that we know that we know that we are certain that we know him. And it speaks of personally, intimately, experientially knowing someone or something. And so this means to come to know someone through a personal experience just like all you guys' relationships that you have. That's how you have to look at it. That's the best way to understand it. How did you get to know your spouse? How do you know your children? How do you know your boss? You actually experience these people. You spend time with them. You study them. You interact with them. It's the same thing that John is telling them. Now, why does John have to tell them this? Because the Gnostics in chapter 1 said Jesus wasn't a real person. They said, yeah, he was just a phantom, uh, some guy walked, and then the spirit of Christ came on him, and then, like, he left foots in the sand, and so he wasn't a real person. And then another faulty Gnostic belief is that, yeah, Jesus was a man, but he wasn't really God. And so they denied both, and both of these are wrong, and both of these lead to conduct disorder, and neither of these beliefs can lead to salvation. But what they do is they corrupt true doctrine, a little leaven leavened the whole lump, and a little bit of compromise. At every compromise, behind every compromise, is a volcano of chaos brewing in the background. That's why we do not compromise. Amen? We stick to true doctrine. So when we actively listen, we enjoy one's presence, we endure hardships, we grow with and overcome with, John emphatically tells his readers back in chapter 1 
the basis of true fellowship. Remember, relationship's what we have. Fellowship is what we do. And John reminds his readers in 1 John 1, 2, he says that, speaking of Jesus, that which is from the beginning we have heard, seen with our eyes, we've looked upon, our hands have handled, and we bear with, we bear with witness that he was the embodiment of the eternal life that was with the Father, and only through him can one have joyful fellowship with God and other believers. I paraphrase that. 1 John 1, 5, he says, he is light and no darkness is in him at all. 1 John 1, 7, he says his blood cleanses us from all sin. And 1 John 1, 9, he says, if we confess our sin to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. For us to come to know someone or something intimately, we need to experience him or it for ourselves. Jesus Christ is a real person in which you can have a relationship with, in which you can have intimacy with, in which he shall never leave us nor forsake us, in which he saves us, he redeems us, and he says, I go to, I go to prepare a place for you, so where I go, you may go also, and because I live, you live as well for those who believe in him. This is the assurance that we have. Amen? So when he says, if we keep, it's a Greek word, terio, and it means as a warden, the idea of a warden who guards to keep an eye on, to observe attentively, keep eyes fixed upon, observe with full duty. And so we have to ask ourselves, when we, in our relationship with the Lord, do we, or do we value it enough to guard it? Are we attentively looking on how we can please the Lord? Because he says, my commandments, and many people may disagree and say, well, that's the Ten Commandments. You have to keep those. You have to honor those. I'll tell you like Paul's tell you, it is impossible. Okay? He said, if righteousness came by the law, Christ died in vain. Because by the law only comes knowledge of sin. And so I don't believe John is saying, hey, by this we know that we know him. If we keep, observe, and be attentive to the Ten Commandments, although those are holy, and those are righteous, and those are just, and we love that. But what he's saying is, to the commands, I believe, in Matthew 28, where Jesus says, go therefore out and preach the gospel to every creature, right? Teaching them to observe every, all, everything I have commanded you. Amen? 1 John 1, uh, 5, 3 says this. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. I like that. They're not burdensome at all. Because guess what? If you love the Lord, it results in obedience. We love it. Example, when we talk about commandments mentioned. So we see through the Gospels, Jesus has some commands. We see uh, in the New Testament and the epistles, there's some commands. Let me give you some examples, and I have some on your outline. Love God. When Jesus went to the, the rich young ruler, he says, uh, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Because he thought he was good, right? No one's good but God alone. If you didn't know that, you're not good. You need Jesus. Amen? No one's good but God alone. But he said, what must I do? He said, you, you know the commandments, keep them. Love your neighbor, etc." He said, I've done all those since my youth. And Jesus responded, okay, cool. Why don't you go sell all you have, give to the poor, come follow me and you have treasures in heaven. Jaw drop, said, no, I can't do it. Amen? He said, I'm not, I can't do that. I love my stuff. I love my possessions. So he couldn't do it. But when we look at the commands, the chief ones are love God and love neighbor. Everything flows from there. 
But also we see pray without ceasing. Do not forsake the gathering among yourselves. Pray for your enemies. Go and make disciples. As God in Christ has forgiven us, we must also forgive. I have a family member, distant family member. Claims they're Christian. They have a a resentment and unforgiveness over 40 years now. And when they're about eight years old, and and one of an older family member has stolen money from them. And to this day, 40 plus years later, they still have hatred and unforgiveness in their heart. But they claim they're Christian. How can you be in fellowship with God, right? I, I'm, not gonna, I'm not here to judge anyone's salvation. I can't do that, right, even though man looks on outward appearance. But according to the script, if we are claiming to be of God, we embrace the command to forgive, to let it go. And I know that hits the heart for a lot of us. It's like we don't want to forgive. Like you, I, I want justice, right? We're made in the image of God, Imago Dei. I want justice. But the Lord says, I will repay. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So we need to be able to forgive. These are the general commands that we are to keep. And the beautiful part about it is, as you grow in your relationship with the Lord, it begins to change you. You know, I think about, uh, by the grace of God, in June, I will be married 10 years to my wonderful bride, Jennifer, uh, who I've been blessed by. Um, I definitely got the upper hand, amen? Um, But I'm blessed by her. But I think when I first got married, it was, you know, hey, I, I need to provide, I need to protect. Like, those are the general commands that I would have. But as I would grow in my relationship with her, those things became natural, and other things became more appealing to me. Like, for example, um, I know she likes coffee, amen? So we have only three little cups. So I try my best when I come in, make sure all the cups are empty and there's enough water in there that she can pour her coffee at will, amen? That's, I don't have a command for that, but because I love her so much, I want to make sure she got her coffee, amen? I want to make sure she's good when it comes to that. But see, when you, when you get and you grow in a loving relationship with someone, these commandments and these things are not burdensome. They're evidence of your love. They're evidence of that affection and commitment being with you, amen? When we come to truly know him by experience, when we taste and see that the Lord is good, obedience will flow from our lives. See, Christian learning results in Christian living. How are we doing with the commands of Jesus? This is just surface level. How are we doing? Is praying good for us? Is loving God and people good for us? All these things are good for us, and they help our relationship with God and others. Subpoint B, uh, verse number four. By our words and our actions being united. Here's what it says, verse 4. Look at your Bibles. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. So John says, he who claims I know him, I know Jesus, there's no obedience, is a liar. So the Gnostics, what they would do is they would come in and say, we know the Lord and we have this higher knowledge, philosophy. We have this higher knowledge, and guess what? We got this new revelation, and as you guys heard it, if it's new, it ain't true. The Bible says, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven, done, finished, complete. Amen? It's not new. There's no new revelation. And so the Gnostics want to come in with this new knowledge that faith in Christ alone does not save. 
It's faith in Christ plus faith in the higher knowledge. Guess what? That only we have, and you got to get it from us. That's what they were teaching. That's what it was. And yet they were saying this, but they had no concern for general obedience to the commands of our Lord. He calls them out. They were claiming to truly know Jesus, but their lives lacked genuine obedience to the commands of Jesus. I often run into people, and my kids always get mad at me because everywhere we go, you know, I can't help myself. I'm going to talk about Jesus. And so they get mad because they see me talking to somebody. They know, okay, that's about 10 to 15 added on to our stay here. And if I run into somebody else, it's another 10 to 15. And my wife's grown really patient. I appreciate her. I love her. Um, but I often run into people, and when I have an opportunity to share the gospel, we start talking, and this is like 90% of the time. Yeah, you know, Lord, yeah, I love Jesus, man, amen. And we're vibing by the grace of God. They're talking about things in Scripture, about things that they love, and then the question has to come up. Mandatory, and it's almost like it comes out in slow motion. You ready? What church do you go to? And it's like they're like, no, don't ask, because they're not in fellowship. It's because most of the people claim Christ but don't like to spend time with his bride. Amen? They don't like to fellowship because they don't like accountability. And so I'll ask them, oh, really? You don't go to, well, why don't you not go to church? Well, yeah, you know, the church is, you know, they're judgmental. You know, I had a bad experience. And so, you know, I, I don't want to, I, I, I think I'll stay, I, I have my own personal relationship with God. We have a lot of CIA Christians that are behind the scenes. They have a badge under their, under their shirt. You can't really know they're Christians. And so I kindly asked them, I said, okay, so you had a bad experience at the grocery store, you're still shopping there, amen, oh boy. Uh, you have a bad experience at McDonald's, you're still eating the Big Macs, you're still ordering number twos, on. Oh, I'm just saying. And so we, you have a bad experience at those places and you still go, but when it comes to church and fellowship, there's, there's conflict. And so I always have that issue with people where we call them on any level because I know how important fellowship is. That's koinonia. We share the Holy Spirit with one another. I know how important that is. And it's the constant excuses. And I always encourage them, look, I love you, but I encourage you to be in fellowship. The Bible says do not forsake the gathering among yourselves as more the day is approaching. The Bible says iron sharpens iron. Uh, so one man sharpens the countenance of his friend. It's good for you. And I ask them questions. Hey, look, do you think praying is good? Yeah, yeah, I pray all the time at home. Me and the Lord, we have our own relationship it's between me and him, right? Oh, what about reading the Bible? Oh, yeah, oh, man, I love reading the Word. Man, I was reading the Psalms today, and they'll quote Scripture and all that good stuff. It's wonderful. Oh, man, what do you think about God's people? Oh, man, I love God's people, man. Word, that's all good, man. What about worshiping? Oh, I love worshiping. Oh, man, I could name all these worship songs, man. So where do you, where do you think you can do all that? In one place. The church. Oh, no, no, wait a minute. And we go on. But here's the, here's the genuine test, okay? If you claim that you know him, but you have no genuine desire, to obey the general commands of Christ. The Bible says you're a liar. Not me. Don't say Pastor Josh called you a liar. The Bible says you're a liar. And the truth is not in you. And it's not because you have to conjure up this desire to do it. He's saying that, look, if I'm in you, these things are organic. They're natural. I've never in my life, and it's not that like I sat down and I watched it or anything, but I've never in my life saw an apple tree struggling with itself to bear apples. Never. It's organic. But never in my life have I seen someone sit there and say, hey, Josh, this is an apple tree. But it has oranges on it. No, trust me, it's an apple tree. I promise you, it's an apple tree. But it has oranges. I, I can't accept that. 
And this is what John is saying, is that if you say, and we do not, he says the truth is not in you, he calls him out. Many people today claim to know him, yet their lives lack genuine fruits of repentance. I know uh, uh, a brother in Christ, um, I know he's truly born again now, I, I, uh, whether he was years ago and we had the conversation, I don't know, it's not my place to judge that, um, you know. But he said, hey, when he first got born again, he was still selling drugs. He still continued to live in willful rebellion against God. Zero fruits of repentance. Didn't want to go to church, any of that. And he promises he was born again, filled with the Holy Spirit. And I, I struggle with that. I just tell him, okay. So what you're telling me is, is that Jesus Christ performed open heart surgery on you and your life didn't change. What Jesus are you serving? Amen? What Christ are you serving? Because the Bible says in Romans 8, 11, emphatically, Paul says, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is living inside of each and every one of us. And so if you've had heart surgery and you're breathing the same you were breathing before the heart surgery, I'm concerned. Amen? And Apostle John says, you should be concerned as well. Amen? You need to examine the root to examine the fruit. What Jesus are you serving? Amen? Praise the Lord. So, this is not genuine fruit of salvation. It's fruit of rebellion, as listed in Romans 1. And so, we have to examine ourselves. I love what Paul said in Galatians 2, 16. He says, but if when while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are also found sinners, is Christ therefore the minister of sin? Are you going to charge that to Christ? Paul says what I love most, certainly not. And he says in Romans uh, 3, I think 3, 4, let God be true and every man be a liar. We cannot charge rebellion to Jesus. It's not happening. I think about the parable of the wicked servant. I think about the parable of the sower and the seeds, right? Again, this is not a works-based salvation. That's not what I'm talking about. We're talking about evidence in a believer's life, evidence of the living God living inside you as Jesus says, because I live, you shall also live too. So John told us in chapter one, Jesus is a real person that can be experienced. True joy only comes from the person of Jesus. Jesus is only light and not darkness. I can't say I know him and walk in darkness. The Gnostics lied about their humanity in chapter one. They said they had not sinned. The Gnostics lied about their obedience. They said, we have no confessions to make. The Gnostics lied about their righteousness. They said, we have not committed any sins. Guess what? They failed the test. It's not a true conversion. There was no fruit. And John is concerned about the readers falling for people teaching the word of God apart with no evidence. Never follow someone. Never give heed to someone if their life doesn't bear witness with what they're proclaiming. Amen? And again, we're not judging the condemnation. We're being wise fruit inspectors. We're following what the scriptures say. We need to be diligent. They not only had the wrong Jesus, but they didn't have the fruit of salvation. Often when I say that, people come to me, uh, I had a, um, my dental hygiene is a Mormon, and she's convinced that the Mormon Jesus and the Jesus of Scripture are the same people. And I emphatically, simply, I asked her, I said, so is Jesus God 
or is he one of three gods? She said, oh, no, we believe Jesus is God, but the Holy Spirit is God. And I simply just went to Scripture because that's what we're supposed to do, right? And Isaiah 42, 43, 44, 45 clearly makes it clear. Before me there was no God formed, neither will there be after me. I, even I am the Lord, and besides me there is no other. And so I ask, so is Jesus the true God or the false God? Because if there's three, and the Bible says there's one, and you're saying he's one of the three, is he true or is he false based off Scripture? And so they struggle with those questions, of course, but I give them grace because my, my goal is to point them to the right Jesus. You guys remember in uh, 2 Corinthians 11, Apostle Paul was basically trembling. He was petrified. And he says, I am concerned for you that if someone comes to you and preaches another Jesus, you might accept him. Gives you another gospel, another spirit. You might, you might as well bear with them. The reason why so many people are led astray by false doctrine is because so many lies have truth in them. But you need to know the whole truth. Because as you guys have heard it said, half a truth is a whole lie. Some people say, Jesus and I have an agreement. As a, as a guy I ran into, um, I ran into the uh, 99 cent store. And he was working. He was a little bit intoxicated. And I was able to minister to him the gospel. And he says, Jesus and I have an agreement. I can get drunk and he and I are cool. That's not an agreement. I don't know what Jesus you had an agreement with when it comes to that. But that wasn't the Jesus of scripture. Failed the test. Not part of the family of God, right? You, you don't have the hallmark. But you can. And you can. If you don't know him today, you can come to know him. Many people say Christianity is an exclusive. Is it only has certain people that can come in? You have to do this and you have to do that. I, 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 I refute that strongly. I think Christianity is one of the most inclusive religions you can have. You know why? Because God invites everyone. The Bible says whosoever, okay? Everyone to have a relationship with his son. You choose to be excluded if you're not in that. Amen? And I call everyone today, if you don't have him, do not leave here without him today. My heart is burdened for those who don't know him. My heart is burdened for those who think they know him and have a false assurance. Jesus says, if you love me, you obey my commandments. And this is my commandment. He tells us, do not leave here today without the Lord Jesus. He said, this is the faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners in which all of us are chief, every single one of us. Don't leave here without him. Amen? Subpoint. B, verse 5, transitioning. So he tells him, hey, I know, if I say I know him, I don't keep his commandments. He's a liar. The truth is not in him. But verse 5 says this, but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know we are in him. I love that. This is where we go from obligation to appreciation. We transition from the general commands to love one another, to pray for one another, to love our enemies. Those are those general commands, right? That's where it starts off with. That's a good start, but it goes further. He says, but whoever keeps. We see a distinction from verse 3. He says the commandments. Here he says his word. Like I said before, I believe, and I could be wrong, I believe the commandments refer to the commands that Jesus gave the disciples in Matthew 28. Uh, those general commands to, to observe everything I've commanded you. And then it went to the epistles. We see Peter 
and John and the Apostle Paul. We see them laying out specific commands for us, right? But then he says, when he goes to word, the Greek word is logos, which you guys know, it's the same word in 1 John, it's the same word in the Gospel of John that speaks of the person and revelation of Jesus Christ. It speaks of the invisible God being made visible as the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's what it speaks of. So I believe it speaks of the general revelation of God, the general word of God, he who keeps, and it's the same word, like a warden, he, he who's making sure the security and safety of the prisoners that are in there, the outsiders and the insiders, being attentive, he who keeps his word, like I said, logos. So the, the, uh, the Gnostics, the Greek philosophers, they understood logos to mean the agent that's responsible for creation, right? That's why John uses this. Very, very intelligent. He uses the same word and said, hey, that's Logos that you believe created all that, he has a name. His name is Jesus. And this same Jesus is the only one that can save. So in this sense, John is reasoning for this word to most likely in a broad sense mean the totality of the word of God, keeping the word. An example, John 8, 29. Jesus says, I am not alone. The Father is with me. And he loves me for I always do the things that please him, right? There's a transition. Like I said, when I first got my wife, my first, my command, lay down your life, protect, provide. But then it transitioned to that just became natural and it went further. Again, there's no command for me to, to get the coffee ready. Amen. There's no command for that. But because I know it's going to help her, when I come in, I take out the trash. There's no command for me to take out the trash. But because I know it's going to help her and ease her load, I'm going to do it. So for us, as we grow in this relationship with the Lord, there's things that we start to do that we have not been commanded to do, but because the love of God is being perfected in us, we start doing things that please the Lord. We get there. It's a transition. It is sanctification. Love, you guys know what it means, agape, not schlape agape, okay, solid agape, all right? selflessness, the love of the cross. Greater love have no man than this to lay down his life for his friends. The word perfected, it means to make perfect by reaching the intended goal. And so when he says the love of God is being made perfect, it's being completed. That's his goal. You guys know the Bible says the goal of the commandments is love from a, a, a pure heart, a sincere heart. That was the whole point, was to push us to true love, agape love. That was the purpose of the commandments. In our life, do we see the love of Christ brewing in all our relationships? You know, I think when you, when you strip everything down, I think, you know, COVID-19 has taught us some pretty good lessons, which we should have heeded in this scripture. Uh, relationships are the most important thing, next to Jesus, of course. Because guess what? A lot of people lost their jobs. A lot of people lost a lot of the material things that they hold dear. People are losing their homes. People are losing their cars. People are losing a lot of the material things that they once held very, very dear. And they're seeking to be close to the people that they love most, these relationships. And so it's all about relationships. And so we all have to ask the question, how has the love or how is the love of God pouring into all of our relationships? Because that is one of the tests of a Christian. That is one of the acid tests. Romans 5.5. 5. 
Now, hope does not disappoint, for the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. Deuteronomy 10, 12. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God by walking in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your souls? John is telling his readers that as they keep his word, have a desire to please the Lord in all that you do. This person will grow mature in the Lord, for the Lord as evidence and assurance of their salvation. Amen? Surely the Gnostics claimed they loved the Lord. They claimed they had this higher knowledge. But you know what? What I found often, as the scripture says, knowledge puffs up. And what we have is people with a noisy knowledge. It's just a bunch of noise. It's clang and clang, clash and brass and clang and cymbals is they claim they have all these knowledge and they claim that they know all this and you must know too, but zero love and we can't hear a thing. As Christians, may that not be us. May we seek to have the knowledge and the love of Christ mixed in one. We start off by obligation, obeying the commands, expectation to appreciation. I cannot believe I get to do this. I cannot believe I get to herald the message of the cross. I remember last Sunday, I wasn't expecting to teach. Pastor Day calls me at like 6.40 in the morning. And you guys know him. He, he, you know, my term, this is my language, my slang. He's a beast, amen? And he, he preaching the gospel, and he loves the Lord. And what was him if he doesn't preach the gospel? If he's not here, you know it's serious. It's very serious. So if he calls me at 6.40 in the morning, I already know why, okay? So I'm like, okay, he's calling me. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be teaching today. Okay, amen. So I answer it. Brother, bro, I can't make it today. Talked about kind of the health issues I was going on. And he kept apologizing. I told him, don't apologize. Like, I'll do it. I have no problem doing it. Don't apologize. I'm sorry, bro. I'm sorry for last minute. I said, don't worry about it. That's what you have elders for. All of us need to be ready in season and out of season. And I told him, hey, you know what? Necessity has been laid upon me. Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. He said, woe is me because I'm not preaching the gospel. Right? And so we just had this conversation. I'm like, it's 6, 4 in the morning, and we're arguing over woe is me because we can't preach the gospel. And I just love that, and I love him, and I love the fact that at the end of the day, our desire is to please the Lord. We didn't even think about it. Paul says, a necessity is laid upon me. Woe is me if I don't do this. That happens to us as we continue to grow in the faith. And it surely is assurance of our salvation, not security, but assurance. It gives us certainty. When Doug and I teach the youth group we let, uh, on Friday, we were so blessed to be able to do that. We were so grateful. At the end, we got off the Zoom call, called each other, and we sat for 30 minutes and talked about how grateful we are to serve with one another and be able to preach the gospel. This is the true evidence. I didn't write down and say, you know, I, this is what I need. I can't help it. I can't help it. I wish I could be quiet. People think, Josh, there's something wrong with you because you all know there's something wrong if I don't. There's the issue. I, I must. I must ask you about Jesus. I cannot help it. I'm sorry. You'll love me in the end when you stand before God. I promise you that. But this is the evidence. Thank you, Lord. It says, by this we know. I love this. By this we know. The evidence again. Still part of verse 5, I believe. By this we know we are in him. When we are in him, we're no longer living for self. 2 Corinthians 5, 
15, I believe, it says, and he, we live for him who died and rose again. You're no longer living for self. I tell people when I teach at the Growth Lighthouse, I say self needs to be on the shelf, okay? Self goes on the shelf. We don't use self. We are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. We have to ask ourselves, are we still in Adam or are we in Christ? When we are in Christ, we're concerned about the things of Christ. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We're bound by love, not by law. Subpoint C, and that's probably all we're going to get to potentially. Uh, Subpoint C, our lifestyle being patterned after Jesus. Verse number six, look at your Bibles. He who says, I love that, he abides in him, ought himself also walk just as he walked. Wow, what a high calling is that. So John makes a very bold, very bold stance here. Who in here can say, I walk like Jesus did? That's me. Nobody's doing that, right? That's not what John is saying, right? No, we can't walk in sinless perfection. There's only one that was perfect. That was the Lord Jesus. What I tell people is, hey, when the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, it means all unless otherwise specified, amen? And it only otherwise specifies the Lord Jesus for him who knew no sin, made him to become sin so that you and I can become the righteousness of God. On your outline, seeking to be like our master, Luke 6:40, as I said, we're bound to our witness. So he said, he who abides in him, this is one of John's favorite words, the word abide, 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 abide. It's a Greek word. It means menon, to dwell, to live, to remain with someone, to be and remain united with heart mind, and will to continue. One of his favorite words. He uses this word 19 times in this little epistle alone. Are we continuing? That's another hallmark for that we're in fellowship with God. You know, I look at the parables of sowers again. One of the parables was once persecution came and the riches of this world, it said they what? They fell away. They didn't continue. They didn't continue, right? Was that, was that God's fault? No. They were never in his hand. They never had true salvation. It didn't take root because the Bible is clear. You're kept by the power of God. You have a two-fisted promise, one here, one there. No one can take you from that. That's what the scriptures tell us. But he says to live, to remain, to dwell. Again, those are those apples on the apple tree, right? Not the orange tree, the apple tree. But Josh, I promise you it's apples. No, it's oranges. Be careful. Amen? So John 15, 4 says, Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine, and neither can you unless you abide in me. When he says he himself ought to also walk, Remember, you guys know it's not the Christian sit, the Christian stand, or the Christian lay. It's the Christian walk because we're constantly moving, progressing towards the cross. The word means to regulate one's life, conduct oneself after to make due use of opportunities. All right? Divine appointments. You guys hear it all the time from this, this pulpit. Right? As we're walking as Christ, you look through the Gospels. You see all these divine appointments that Jesus is faithful with every time. 
whether it's groups of people, whether it's individuals, whether it didn't matter. But he was faithful to walk to honor his father. He says, I honor my father and you dishonor me, he tells the religious leaders, because they're puffed up in their knowledge and their religion. This means if we claim we're united to Christ and our commitment to him will show in our lifestyle. Amen? So this does not mean we're supposed to be sinless, although we should aim to sin less by the grace of God. Yet when we treasure his commands in our heart, like the psalmist said in 119.11, when we treasure his commands in our heart, the Bible says that I've hidden thy word in my heart that I may not sin against you, right? The things that are most important to us, we guard and we protect. Why do you guys lock your house? You don't want nobody breaking in. Why do you lock your car? You don't want nobody breaking in. You treasure those things. You hide them. You put them in a garage if you have one. You take care of them. Hopefully most of you guys. Um, you take care of these things because they're of most value to you. What do you do with your money? You put them in a bank, a 401k, a Roth IRA, because you care about your money, right? You care about those things. And so John is saying it will be evident in the way we live our life. See, the outside world examines our life to see Jesus or not, right? See, see, most of us, I always tell people, look, I'm bound to my witness. I'm constantly thinking, how, do, how am I representing Christ? And there's certain things that the Bible says that may, probably won't be wrong, but I ask the question, if I do this, am I looking more like Christ or more like the world? If I do this, may I potentially cause a brother or sister or even people from the outside to stumble? And if everyone followed me, Will they be drawn closer to the Lord or further away? I'm bound to my witness. We're ambassadors for Christ. So we have to ask ourselves, is this honoring the Lord? Will this cause brothers and sisters to stumble? If everyone followed me, would they be more like Christ or not? We all have to ask ourselves. Luke 6.40, as I said before, the goal of the disciple of Christ is to become like their master, to become more like Christ. And on your outline, Ephesians 5, 1, 2 tells us to be imitators of God. Typically, you can ask your children, what, what fruit are you bearing at home? See, in the home where no one's looking, that's true godly character, right? If people, if we went and asked the closest people to you guys, would they know that you know the Lord? Are we CIA agents? Are we undercover Christians? Because we shouldn't be, Right? How can we hold something so valuable and hide it, right? Well, I remember the, the, the wonderful song, this little mind of mine, I won't, I'm going to let it shine, hide it in a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. We need to let our light shine. I will do one more point and then we'll, we'll be done by the grace of God. So uh, in review before I go to point number two, a hallmark of how we know Jesus by our obedience, first and foremost. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say, the Lord's commands, by our words and actions lining up with one another, by our desire to please the Lord in all that we do, we're bound by love and not by law. I delight to do thy will, O God, thy law is within my heart. Our lifestyle, is it being patterned after Christ or patterned after the world? The two are not the same, and a, no servant can serve two masters because you'll love one and hate the other. It's either Christ is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Point number two, and we'll get as far as we can. 
Love for Jesus results in love for people. Love for Jesus results in love for people. Verse 7, look at your Bibles. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. Verse 8, again, a new commandment I write to you, which things are true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. When he says brethren, he's not talking to the Gnostics. They're not brethren. Okay, he's not talking to the false teachers. They're not brethren. The word brethren means fellow believer united by bond of affection. Remember, our relationship with one another is we all have Jesus. That's why we have that in common. And our fellowship is sharing that with one another. The Gnostics couldn't share that because they didn't have it. They had a false Jesus. Again, I find it all the time, the, the, the self-righteous people, the Pharisees that want to strain in a gnat and swallow a camel, they have noisy knowledge. It lacks love. I can't hear. I don't know what they're saying. We constantly come across these people. This is what, again, John is combating completely. And so when he says a new commandment, he said this is not a new commandment, but an old commandment. Remember, the Gnostics had what? New knowledge. We have this new knowledge for you. If you, if you, don't, if you don't know about it, you're not going to be able to grow in Christ. You, you can't fully know him. See, you, kinda, you were half redeemed at the cross. You kind of half know him. We have the other half. Like Paul says in Galatians 4, he says they want your affections for them, not for the Lord. They want to steal your affections. But the scripture says set your affections on the things that are above we're supposed to have heaven on our mind and our mind on heaven. Paul says it's far better. I'm good to go right now. What about you? I want to go right now. But necessity is laid upon me and I must preach the gospel. Amen. But he said there's this new knowledge, a new revelation. If you didn't know, we have it. He does not say what command it is right there because his readers already know. But I assure you, I believe it's John 13. 34 and 35, where he tells his disciples that a new commandment I give unto you. The old commandment before was that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus comes on the scene and says, a new commandment I give unto you to love your neighbor as I have loved you. He raised the bar, okay? When you love your neighbor as yourself, it is limited to your incapacity to love in the human level. Jesus raised the bar and he said, love your neighbor as I. I have loved you. Greater love have no man than this to lay down his life for his friends. So Jesus told them that in the Gospels. Apostle John is reminding them of what Jesus told them. He said it's old. It's the same word from the beginning. But then he said it's new. Why? Because now it's on this side of the cross. That was before they indwelled with the Holy Spirit. And he tells them now it's, a new, it's, not old, it's, it's not a new commandment. It's old, but it's actually a new commandment because now you're filled with the Holy Spirit. We, as a parent, a loving parent or teacher, we often find ourselves repeating things over and over and over. Why? Because children need repetition. I don't know how many times i told my kids the same, same thing over and over and over, and they've told me, you're telling me that over and over, but they haven't done it. And they say, why do you keep telling me? Well, why don't you listen, right? <laughs> why, do you, why, why don't you just listen? I don't have to keep saying it. So we find this repetitive command to love one another. We need repetition. The Bible says over 360 times, 
do not be afraid. Do not fear. Deuteronomy 31 and 6, it says, be of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them, for the Lord your God goes with you, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. If God has to warn you that many times, that means we're being afraid. If we have to constantly get a warning to love it's okay. I'll take the repetition. I have no problem with that. As I said, the Gnostics have no knowledge in the world, but because they do not have the Holy Spirit, they lack sincere love for the brethren. Again, noisy knowledge. 1 Corinthians 13, 2. Though I have the gift of prophecy, and I understand all mystery and all knowledge, and though I have the faith could move the mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. It profits me nothing. Again, I say it again, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Love for Jesus results in love for people. He tells them which thing is true in him and in you. The Bible says God is love. Therefore, any who are in Christ bear the same attributes. Galatians 5, what's the main, main fruit? Love. And then stems from their joy, peace, you know, happiness, gentleness, self-control, and it goes on and on and on. But the foundation of that was love, and it all came from there. So when he talks about darkness is passing away, the true light is shining, we have to remember, whenever light enters a room, darkness has to run. The two can't live together. They can't be co-inhabitants. Proverbs 4.18 but the path of the just is like a shining light that shines more and more unto the perfect day. If you want a barometer for your spiritual maturity, look at your love. All of us, me included. Are you growing in love for God and love for people? And I'll end it here, a little poem. I don't know who wrote it. I heard the voice of Jesus say, I am this dark world's light. Look unto me. Thy morn shall rise, and all thy days be bright. I looked to Jesus, and I found in him my star, my sun, and in that light of life I'll walk till traveling days are done. I heard the voice of Jesus say,